Starting a new book tonight. It's called Obadiah. Servant of the Lord. So let's get to that book, which is right after Amos, which we just finished studying last time. My computer keeps going off here. Okay, there. There it is. Let me make a quick, quick observation here uh, before we begin in Obadiah. This is one of those little mini prophecy updates, real mini tonight. But uh, we we all we all know what's going on in Washington and and uh, and what's happening in our country. Um, when, when I mention what I'm going to mention right now, uh, I'm I'm going to mention it from from the standpoint of spiritual activity, not uh, political. But it's come down to this, that the more that you look at what's happening in Washington today, the more you realize that what the deep state is, is not so much just a bunch of politicians, you know, gathering in dark places, you know, to, you know, try to figure out how to destroy one person and and one person's administration and, and then, you know, gain back, you know, the the power, as it were. What's, what's already been compromised in all of that is what this nation was based upon, which was uh, a, a nation based on laws, the Constitution, and on a, on a, a, a three-level uh, system, legislative, judicial, and executive. So, with that, in, with that being said, the deep state itself today is not so much a, a bunch of people upset at, at a, an election a, a three years ago. They are, but there's something deeper than that. And the reason why we need to pray like we've never prayed before is because what we see happening today is a sign. It is a sign of the times that Jesus said were going to happen before the end. It's a sign that is a part of the latter days, but one just previous to the very end when things begin to move in that direction of, of uh, where we find, you know, the, the deceptions that, uh, that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24. Well, I said it was a little mini study. Okay, it's going to be real mini uh, as soon as I can find where I'm going. But the, um, the statement of, of, of fact here that I want, to, I want to make clear, fact from the Word of God, and this is, it, it varies necessary for us to understand is that already Jesus has mentioned deception three times. But then when he says in verse 12, he says, and because iniquity shall abound. Now the word iniquity is a very interesting word in the Greek because it means lawlessness. It means lawlessness. And because iniquity or lawlessness shall abound. 
The love of many shall wax cold. The love of many shall wax or grow cold. The word wax means to grow. Will grow cold. And and now we, we see in our society today this great divide based on hatred. Pure and simple hatred. But not just hatred of a person, but hatred of a certain way. And it practically comes down to the hatred of the way. Remember that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And these are the things that are being reflected in elections like yesterday in Virginia. We've already talked about Virginia a number of times. We talked about Virginia of many months ago when uh, uh, the... Uh, governor of the very state of Virginia started speaking. He's a physician, by the way, an MD. Started talking about uh, uh, having uh, not just abortions in the last trimester all the way to the last month, but even having a mother give birth to a child and then asking the mother if she wants the child to be exterminated. Where is that coming from? But from a heart that says that, that that is cold just like it says the love of many shall wax cold well that's not just cold that's frozen to have that kind of an attitude as a physician even so we see that happening And much of the underlying problems that we see, spiritually speaking, in the area of of politics is is a a building up of a a lack of tolerance on Christians who truly believe the word of God, Christians who truly believe uh, in God himself and in Christ. Uh, And so that, that hatred is going to come even stronger against the church. And against those of us who stand on the truth. And this is the reason why I think it is so important that we truly study the word of God. This is what God has given us to do. Not just uh, play games with verses here and there. Make us feel good. We've got to realize there's a battle going on. This is a battleground. Not just the United States. Not just this country. But it's a battle that, that is that is in the spiritual realm. This is the reason why Paul made sure to, to tell us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities. And th- these aren't just words, principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickednesses in high places. Those are all levels of spiritual beings that we cannot see with our eyes, but we see the effects we see the effects in people. We see the effects in governments. We see the, the effects in nations. We see the effects in leaders of nations. So here again, God has called us you know, to be faithful to his word. And this is what, why Jesus is saying to his disciples and saying to us in Matthew chapter 24. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Not that we're not saved already. 
but we'll come to that understanding of the fullness of the fact that we will be with the Lord when that time will come. Whether we're here or we're taken in the rapture of the church, whatever it is, we need to endure to the end. We need to stand strong and stand firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need to pray for our nation. We need to pray for our president. We need to pray for the leaders of, of, of government because right now it is a war. It is a war. We thought the civil war, which was, you know, civil war is, is a oxymoron. I mean, it, it's a non-civil war. There's nothing civil about what we see happening today. As we didn't see, at least in, historically speaking, in the Civil War back in the 19th century. It's worse now. You say, how can it be worse? There were hundreds of thousands of people killed in the Civil War. It's worse now because where we are and what people are compromising as far as the truth. Because it's going to be an eternal judgment. Not just, you know, the results of war. It's eternal. So we need to be on the right side. We need to be on God's side. We need to be on Jesus' side. A lot of times people say, well, you know, look, God's on our side, isn't he? He is, but we need to be on his. We need to be on his side. Amen? All right. That was that little short. It was longer than short, but okay. I feel better now just sharing that. Obadiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. I'm going to read those tonight. We're going to, we're going to take four weeks in this one chapter verse, uh, book, okay? I'm just, I'm just warning you now, just letting you know. But we're going to read the first nine so you kind of get an idea of what, what is being said and, and where we're going. The vision of Obadiah. Thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom. Edom was the nation that was founded by Esau. Thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye, and let us rise up against her in battle. Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen. Thou art greatly despised. The pride of thine heart has deceived thee, thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. If thieves came to thee, if robbers by night, how art thou cut off? Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If the, grass, uh, the grape gatherers came to thee, would they not leave some grapes? How are the things of Esau searched out? How are his hidden things sought up? All the men of thy confederacy have brought thee even to the border. The men that were at peace with thee have deceived thee and prevailed against thee. They that eat thy bread have laid a wound under thee. There is none understanding in him. Shall I not in that day, saith the Lord, even destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of the mouth of Esau? And thy mighty men, O Timon, shall be dismayed to the end that every one of the mount 
of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. How does a message given to an obscure prophet who arises from seemingly nowhere to give to the prideful nation of Edom as a pronouncement of God's judgment, how does a message appropriately apply to us? How does this message, 21 verses, I I truly want this series of studies in this one chapter book to be more to you than just an ancient history lesson. So we always need to remember this one thing, and that is what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. He said, all scripture, all scripture. Now let me assure you that Obadiah is scripture. It is scripture given by God to a prophet to give to a particular nation. But it is scripture. Therefore, it is important to us. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is inspired. It is not just words made up by a prophet who just one day sat around and thinking, you know, I'd like to write a little bit of a letter to this Edom uh, nation and, and all. No, no, no. Just as many of the prophets themselves, one day, you know, they were certainly... uh, People who are uh, lovers of God, they, 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 were, they were truly uh, turned to the Lord in, in, in their lives. God, that's why God chose them. But here God comes to, you know, just like he came to Amos, who was what? A shepherd, uh, a farmer. And God used him. And how he used others as prophets, major and minor. So all scripture is given by inspiration of God. God inspired these words. And is profitable for doctrine. All scripture is profitable. Whatever we're going to study in the next few weeks is profitable for us. For doctrine. For us to understand this is truly the word of God. This is a teaching. This is a doctrine of the church. A doctrine that we need to understand for reproof, for correction. Those two words go together. Reproving is the word of God really getting to us and convicting us. With that comes the correction. And then it says for instruction in righteousness. What a a wonderful progression we see that Paul is talking about here. Profitable for doctrine. This is a teaching. Okay, for reproof. Well, I kind of messed up because I didn't do what the teaching said. So it convicts my heart. I need, you know, so then what's, what does the word of God then give us? It gives us correction. And then it instructs us back toward righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect or complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. What we have in 66 books of the Bible 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament. What we have here are God's words to us. Now, if we believe this scripture tonight, then we necessarily believe that the 21 verses of Obadiah's prophecy were also given by inspiration of God for our benefit. Not just for the benefit of Edom or the Jewish people who were also called upon to take this into their canon of scripture. 
so that we might grow as men and women of God through our study of its most significant message for our time. And I can assure you that every prophet that we study in the scriptures will be a prophecy for our time. Because we are living in what is called the last days. Let our prayer be that the Lord would open our minds and our hearts to receive the messages contained in this short but powerful book. And that we make the appropriate application to our lives so that we might be doers of the word and not hearers only. So with that understanding in mind, let's, let's look at verse 1. The vision of Obadiah. Obviously, Obadiah has received this word from the Lord as a vision. And thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom. What would be present-day Jordan? We have heard a rumor from the Lord. And an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye and let us rise up against her in battle. Let's consider, first of all, the vision of Obadiah. What is the vision of Obadiah? Let's, let's first consider who this Obadiah was. The scriptures mention several men by this name, which, by the way, means servant of the Lord. I think I mentioned that earlier. But in 1 Kings 18, we read about a man by this name that hid the Lord's prophets in caves during the time of Elijah and Ahab. In 2 Chronicles 17, we're told about a teacher of the law named Obadiah that Jehoshaphat sent into the cities of Judah to preach the word of God. There are several others mentioned, but none seem to be this Obadiah of the prophecy and of the vision. Our prophet Obadiah appears really out of nowhere, proclaims the message God has given him, and then returns to obscurity, leaving us only to think about God and the message pronounced. Is this odd or even wrong? Well, even his name, servant of the Lord, suggests that when we are true servants of God, it will not matter that our identity goes unknown to the world at large, because it is God and his word that we want to draw attention to instead of ourselves. I think that is a very key understanding before we read and study this whole letter. Obadiah comes out of nowhere, receives a vision from the Lord, gives the vision, and as quick as he came onto the scene, he leaves. What did he do? He did exactly what the Lord wanted him to do. And in effect, he did it with the heart that God wanted him to have, which is the kind of heart he wants us all to have. That we just, you know, who we are is not important in this world. Who he is, is important. Who God is, is important. Who Jesus is, is important. That's why we should never take it for granted. Our Christianity, our faith in God, 
Our faith in Christ. Our service to the Lord never should be taken for granted. God in his word is what needs to be receiving all the attention and not ourselves. We see too many people today wanting to receive some kind of acclaim, some kind of applause. We're not to be applauded. We're just earthen vessels. God made us that way for a reason. God uses us that way for a reason. All have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have. What, an, what, what a blessing for God to use any of us in any capacity, even to the smallest capacity, to give water to a thirsty person or food to a hungry person and to each the word of God. So it's for this reason that we find the next phrase. Thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom. Because Obadiah did not proclaim his own message. This was not him, as I said earlier, coming up with some kind of a thing to say. No. He didn't express his own feelings about Edom or what he might have thought about this sister nation. And it was a sister nation. Don't forget the tie between Esau and Jacob. Twins. Born from the same mother. Esau, the firstborn. Although he had someone clamped onto his ankle. Named Yaakov. Wait a minute. I want to be the firstborn, you know. They didn't really get along much, did they? It's hard to find where they got along at all. A little bit. Then after they were separated and uh, Jacob thought that he was, you know, that Esau was out for blood. Eventually, you know, they made some peace. But the nations never really melded well together. This was a sister nation. Or a brother nation, as it were. So instead, what Obadiah does is he gets out of the way. He gets out of the way and he proclaims, thus saith the Lord God. This is from the Lord. This is from the creator of heaven and earth. This is from the one who has no beginning and has no end. Thus saith the Lord. Hashem. The name. Too holy to pronounce. From this little phrase, thus saith the Lord, I... I want us to consider a few attributes and characteristics of the Lord God that will help lay a foundation for what we will, or for what will be said in the the next 20 verses. The first thing I want you to, to consider is the sovereignty of God. Thus saith the Lord God. The sovereignty of God. 
How and why is it that over and over in the scriptures we find this phrase, thus saith the Lord God? Various prophets and other men in the scriptures proclaim that statement 277 times. And the phrase, thus saith the Lord, a total of 430 times. Again, thus saith the Lord God, 277 times, thus saith the Lord, 430 times. Let me tell you how and why. It was because these men realized something of the sovereignty of God. There's a great power and authority in this little but profound statement. There is boldness and confidence in those words. After all, the God who created the heavens and the earth and all things therein is complete power and authority to dictate how everything will unfold throughout history. And we always say this because he sees the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. He knows the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. Because he created the heavens and the earth. He was before all things. And he'll be around way after all things themselves will be destroyed. But when you think about the sovereignty of God, I want you to remember the prayer of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Remember the prayer of this woman who had been been unable to bear children, but the Lord gave her a son. And she took this son and gave him to the Lord at a very young age, Samuel, Shemuel, to the tabernacle. She broke out with a prayer of great praise to the Lord. She said in verse 1 of 1 Samuel 2, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies because I rejoiced in thy salvation. There is none holy as the Lord. Now now, now take every phrase here. Don't, Don't go too fast and just kind of read it as words. Read it as an understanding of who the sovereign God is. He is first and foremost holy. For there is none beside thee. Neither is there any rock like our God. He is solid. He is sure. Talk no more so exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken. And they that stumbled are girded with strength. They that were full have hired out themselves for bread. And they that were hungry cease, so that the barren hath borne seven, and she that hath many children is waxed feeble. And then she says, The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the 
beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes, to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he has set the world upon them. He will keep the feet of his saints, and the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength shall no man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall he thunder upon them. The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth, and he shall give strength unto his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Now let me ask you a question. <laughs> That's not, is that a common prayer for just getting something from the Lord, the blessing of the Lord? Wow. He went straight to who he was and exalted him. Didn't talk at all about herself. Didn't say a word. Oh, Grateful she was. She did. She she said she was grateful by saying all of that, by recognizing how sovereign God is, how awesome He is in power, how majestic He is in His royalty. In Job thirty three verse thirteen, Job's friend. Elihu asked Job this question. He asked him, Why dost thou strive against him? For he giveth not account of any of his matters. <laughs> he had an understanding of, of a sovereign God. He doesn't have to give his matters out to anybody. He can do what he wants to do. We have a good God, a loving God, a merciful God, a gracious God, but he's still God. And he's still holy, and he's still righteous, and he's just, and he's true. And so he doesn't give account of any of his matters. Yet anything he does, he will always be perfect. And he will always be right. He doesn't need us to tell him. That's why I don't believe that God is on Facebook. Or on YouTube. I mean, you know, with his own account, because, you know, all you could ever do is like him. And I wouldn't be one who wanted to press that unlike button. Mm -mm. But see, the, the problem is, of course, that if he did, he'd probably have a lot more unlikes than likes. Why? Because he is true. And this world bases its whole claims, or its whole claim, on a lie. The lie of the devil. In chapter 3 of Genesis. Boy, how we can just keep coming back to that place. Later in the same book, in Job, the Lord is speaking to Job, and he makes this statement to him. In Job 41, verse 11, he says, who has prevented me, which means who has come before me, that I should repay him? Whatsoever is under the whole heaven is mine. We need to understand that about the sovereignty of God. 
And listen, let's never doubt the sovereignty of God. He is omnipotent, which means God is all-powerful, and He's able to perform all of His holy will. He can perform everything perfect, because He is perfect. And again, He knows the beginning from the end, and the end from the beginning. He can do anything that He wants to, and His, ex- and his exercise of power over all His creation is His sovereignty. Excuse me. God's sovereignty is his exercise of rule as creator and as king. And so, how do the prophets bring this out? How does a little book like Obadiah express the sovereignty of God? As we continue in this book, we're going to discover that God pronounces judgment on the little nation of Edom, and in his own timing, he executes that judgment. He does what he deems good and necessary because he is in perfect and complete control. There is one word that you'll never hear out of the mouth of God. Oops. Right? He doesn't make any mistakes. He does what he deems good and necessary because he is in perfect control. And complete control. Kings and presidents can say what they want. Nations can do what they want. But in the final analysis, none can escape the sovereignty of God. Do you remember what Daniel said before going before uh, to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream? This was in Daniel chapter 2. Kind of early. I I want you to turn there. I'm going to turn there too because I, I, I feel like I just, I needed to give you a couple extra verses here that uh, I didn't give you uh, that's behind me that's going to start on verse 21. So in Daniel chapter 2, let me me just read verses 19 and 20, which are the two verses before verse 21. It says, then was the seeker revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever for wisdom and might are his. What's the first thing that Daniel does? Exactly what, what Hannah did. Praise God for his wisdom, for his name, for his authority, for his might, for who he was. Now he gets to verse 21. And he changeth the time and the seasons. God can do that because he's God. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. I really love that particular verse because there are a lot of deep and secret things going on in the world today. I mentioned the deep state earlier. The real problem is the deeper state. The principalities and the powers. But God God reveals these things to us. And we need to to stay awake and vigilant and discerning. We need to be be paying close attention, just as as John tells us in his, his first letter to the church, that we need to be, you know, testing the spirits to see if they're of the Lord or not. Because there's a lot that have gone out there that are just antichrist spirits. So he giveth wisdom unto the wise, knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deeper or the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness. Aren't you glad to know that? He knoweth what is in the darkness. 
Man, I'm really glad to know that my God knows what's in the darkness. Because I don't know about you, but man, when I was growing up, I, I did not like the darkness. And I, and I think I might have mentioned this back on Sunday, but I, I, I tell you what, I, we, used to, we used to live in, a, in an old section of town that had alleys. Alleys. We don't have alleys anymore. And in the alleys is where your trash cans had, you know, were. And you didn't have all kinds of light out there. So you had to take yourself a big flashlight to get out to the alley to throw the trash at, you know, 8 or 9 o'clock at night. Because you were told, that's your job. You know, go throw the trash. Okay, so you got this big flashlight, big beam, you know, to see where you're going. Because you don't know what's in the dark. And then, we, you know, we grew up, we grew up watching, you know, Frankenstein and, and Dracula and, and the Wolfman, you know, and on TV, black and white, black and white TV. What happened to your TV? Did it get broken? No, 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 it was black and white TV. How, how many remember black and white TV? We've got a whole bunch of old people here. So, you know, <laughs> it was like, whoa, you know. So you'd be watching, and, and the TV, RT was in the far back room. And, 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 you know, sometimes I was by myself, and, you know, I was watching. I wanted to see, you know, Dracula, you know, or, or Frankenstein or the mummy, whatever. And, and so, you know, but when the movie was over, my room was in the very front of the house. I had every light on in the house. And the way I've got myself from the back to the front is as I was leaving, I was turning off every light going to the front. And I left the middle light on so I could get, just be comfortable. Okay. I didn't like the darkness because I didn't know what was in the darkness. But God knows. He knoweth what is in the darkness and the light dwelleth with him. He is the light. I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who has given me wisdom and might and has made, me, has made known unto me now what we desired of thee, for thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. How God used Daniel. And so the prophets show us that God is the sovereign Lord of history and that nothing happens either to Israel or the Gentile nations that is not the result of God's direct determination. The great flood of Genesis 6 was the direct result of the sovereign will of God. In other words, in Genesis 6 was the whole purpose, is the reason why there was going to be a flood to begin with. It starts there. So that great flood was the direct result of the sovereign will of God. The plagues of Egypt... The book of Exodus, the plagues of Egypt, where is doing? The locust plague that we studied not long ago in the book of Joel was, was his doing. The fall of Jerusalem was his doing. And we can say, you know, yeah, it was allowed by God. But it was his doing. Because he knows what needs to be done. And he does it. For good. Always for good. And, by the way, for his glory. Always. So with these things in mind, we join, we join the many believers who meditate on the providence and sovereignty of God who sooner or later come to a point where we say with them, I cannot understand this doctrine fully. <laughs> Can any of us? We are so finite as as human beings that we can understand fully God's sovereignty. But that's okay. 
He's sovereign, and that's good for us. It's always good for us that God is everything that the Scripture says he is. It's always good for us because he is a God of love. So he, he just doesn't turn, you know, his, you know, his emotions on and off the way, you know, some of us do, you know. One day we're loving, the next day we're, you know, beating somebody up. Or, or, or doing something, you know, that, that, well, I'm just angry today. Oh, that's my angry day. What's up with that? We don't have an angry day. We have a day that we get up and we say, Lord, this is your day. And I understand, Lord, <laughs> my days are numbered. I, still, I keep messing around being angry like that. No, no, no. This is your day. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I can't fully understand the doctrine, but that's okay because it's good that we know he's sovereign. Remember that in every doctrine that is meditated upon, our understanding is finite, but God, thankfully, God is infinite. God is infinite. We, we will never understand the nature of God fully, but we can learn how to respond to it. First of all, we respond by not being afraid, but by simply trusting in the Lord. Now, when I say not being afraid, I'm not saying that we are not to fear the Lord, because the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is a good thing. To fear the Lord, as far as the Bible tells us, and as far as the Scripture tells us, as far as we learn in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures, is that we fear the Lord, because our fear of the Lord is our respect toward the Lord. It is our worship toward the Lord. It is our reverence of the Lord. That is what fear is. Biblical fear. So we are not to be afraid. We're just to simply trust in the Lord. If he is truly sovereign in our lives or in his hands, then why should we fear? Why should we fear with what's going on in Washington today? Why should we fear with, what, with what's happening in the Middle East today? Why should we fear? Do we not have Psalm 27 in our Bibles? You ever read Psalm 27? I think you all have, probably. I'm not going to look, but, you know, I was going to say, raise your hands if you haven't, but no, I'm not going to say. Psalm 27. Listen to what it says. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though wars should rise against me, in this will I be confident. Confident. Listen to what he says. We've sung this song before. One thing have I desired of the Lord. That will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord. And to inquire in his temple. One thing have I. Desired of the Lord. That will I seek after. Secondly, be thankful for all things that happen. That's hard. 
That's hard. I was going to mention to you, and I, 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 I'll mention at the end of the meeting or the end of the study, about uh, uh, Mark Domingue and uh, you know his, his going home to be with the Lord last week. Um, it's a tough circumstance, tough situation. How do we be thankful for things like that? But if we genuinely believe that God is in control of all things, and the Lord always acts according to his goodness, then we are compelled to be thankful for what he does, even when we don't understand it. I, I can be honest with you today, because I've talked about it a number of times in the last couple of months, but I don't understand why things have been such a hard, uh, why things have been so hard in this, this 2019 year from almost the very beginning of it in so many different ways affecting this church and affecting many of our families here. Why? I don't know. I don't understand. I can't give that answer. None of us can. When we learn to be thankful in all things, we, we also learn thirdly that there, there are no such things as luck, no such thing as chance, and no such thing as fate. Those are world words. Luck, chance, faith. In a statement that echoes the need for us to understand the times in which we live, Paul tells the church in Ephesus, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 14 through 20, he says, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, which means that you walk carefully with, with, an, with an understanding of all that is around you, circumspect, like a circumference, circumspect, knowing what's all around you. Not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time. Buying back the time from wasted Things, wasted events, wasted uh, things that we do. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wow. If the days were evil for Paul, how much more are they evil in our time? There's evil everywhere. To a certain extent, we brought evil in here. We brought evil in here in our phones. Our pads, iPads. Because what's, what's, what, what, it just takes a second to bring up something that is ungodly. We can also bring something up that's godly. But the fact of the matter is, it's what the heart controls. It's where the heart goes. The days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to yourselves. Oh, by the way, let me, let me just make a comment on be, be, be filled with the Spirit here, because I think we need to understand, and I think that we want, we want with all of our heart to understand that the Christian life is a supernatural life. It is not just a natural life any longer. Well, it's only natural in the very fact that we're here sitting naturally 
in this place in bodies and in, in flesh, you know, with, with a mind, I hope, <laughs> with a mind that's active and, and learning and a heart and a spirit that's alive in Christ. But this is, we live, we live a supernatural life. Christ in us, the hope of glory. The spirit, not only among us, but upon us and in us. We can't understand the word without the spirit. We can't even say that Jesus is Lord without the spirit. But be filled with the spirit. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And notice this, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The death of David's son. Of course, after the great sin that he had committed with Bathsheba, The death of his son did not bring for us in the scriptures any sense of of animosity toward God or some kind of, oh, how could you do this, Lord? prayed and prayed until he found out that his son was dead. And he got up and he washed himself and he went to eat. His son was in God's hands. Certainly bore the pain in his heart, but he trusted God. Think of every psalm that you've ever read by David. You know he trusted God. Especially in that time. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Renew me with thy free spirit. Give thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name and authority in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember this. Nothing just happens. There is no such thing as coincidence. We need to learn to see God's hand in in events throughout the day, causing all things to work together for good to those who love him. That's God's sovereignty. And then there's God's holiness. There's the holiness of God. If God's sovereignty breaks forth throughout the prophecy of Obadiah and the other prophets, then so does the attribute of holiness. There is that proclamation in Exodus chapter 15. After the Lord delivered the children of Israel from the approaching Egyptian armies at the Red Sea. You read it in Exodus 15 verse 9. Where the enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My lust shall be satisfied upon them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. 
Thou didst blow with thy wind, the sea covered them. They sank as lead in the mighty waters. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like unto thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? We used to sing that song too. There's a lot of songs I'm going to have to bring back. Oldies but goodies. But that's one of them. Who is like unto thee, O Lord among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Writer after writer throughout the scriptures declare the holiness of God. One of the great passages of scripture in this regard is Isaiah chapter 6. Verses 1 through 3, where it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Now, this is the vision that God has given to Isaiah of himself. And it says, Above it, above this, above this throne, stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, which means with two. He covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. Speaking, of course, of the seraphim. Seraphim is, by the way, is, is uh, seraphim is, uh, sorry, my foot got a little cramped. Huh. All right. Well, wait. Okay, good. Seraphim, I am, it means it's a, a plural of, of, of the angels. And some people, you know, uh, who don't like the King James much, they say, well, why does it say seraphims? It's so that we know that there are more than one angel. Simple. Each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth, the whole earth is full of his glory. You know, there are all kinds of attributes in the scriptures given to God. He's holy. I mean, uh, he's, he's righteous, he's just, he's true, he's, he's merciful, he's gracious. He's, uh, you know, all these attributes. He's, he's love. God is love. Uh, but holy is the only one that we see mentioned three times in one statement. Holy, holy, holy. And God's holiness means that he is separated from sin and is devoted to seeking his own honor. His articles of worship are to be holy. The place where God himself dwells is holy. The Lord is the most holy one, and he demands that his people be holy. Even Peter himself, in the very first chapter of the first letter of Peter, tells us that this is what God says, as God has said, be ye holy as I am holy. He quotes from the book of Leviticus. He quotes from the Old Testament in the New Testament. Oh, sorry. In the New Testament. Holiness is a, an attribute that he wants us to have because we live in a world of evil and sin. And we need to be separated from sin, separated from all that is wicked and separated unto God to be holy. An awareness of God's holiness was the driving force behind Obadiah's sharp denunciation of sin. It makes no difference where the sin was found. 
whether in foreign lands like Edom or Nineveh, or even among God's people. It was an offense to God and called for judgment. Apart from repentance, judgment falls. In the minor prophets, stiffer pronouncements against sin and hardier calls for deep repentance are found. We've seen that already in in the books of uh, Hosea, Joel, and uh, Amos, and we'll find it as well in Obadiah. Lastly, the love of God is something that we will see also in the study of Obadiah's prophecy. Now, for a great number of people, it is difficult to see how God can be sovereign and holy, executing judgment against sin and still be called a God of love. How is it that a loving God can judge nations the way he does? If God loved Edom, then why does he lead Obadiah to pronounce its eventual destruction? The answer to this question is that God is a God of holiness and justice as well as a God of love. These moral attributes are complementary, not contradictory. They're not contradictory. That's what man thinks with his finite mind. But you see, the Lord expressed his love for us by giving us laws. Now that's an interesting thing. I mean, when, if you're looking at the news today, and they were having some kind of a march or something, I think, yesterday or this week. Uh, uh, people were, 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 were saying that they weren't, they, you know, they, I mean, their hatred for, for law enforcement people is, is amazing in some places. I think this was in New York. And some people like AOC was backing these people. Y'all know who AOC is, right? I don't have to tell you. Okay. Because I don't want to tell you. But they're back in this, you know, this, this, this march where they say that they're not going to do what the police want. They were throwing water on them. They were throwing all kinds of other things. They've killed police officers. <laughs> wow. But he gave us laws. God gave us laws. The law is like a great fence that shows us where the boundaries are. But see, the, the wickedness of this world today says we don't want boundaries. We don't want walls. But that's not just a physical wall here on the border. That's walls of any kind. If God did not love us, then he wouldn't care what we did or whether we obeyed him or not. Would any parent in this room allow their children to play in the busy street over here on Zaragoza? Go out and play on the street, honey. It's okay. No. Simply because you love them. They communicate that love first by, by, by laying down that law. Thou shalt not play in the street. <laughs> Do you smile when you're when giving them the law and, and they play in the street anyway? Oh, they're playing anyway. Oh, man, you're running out there. And see, the world doesn't want you to do that. They're going to take a picture of you and then they're going to send it to, the, you know, to someplace and you're going to be in trouble. Correcting your kids. Wow. Where have we gone? The Lord laid down the rules in the law. He sent his prophets out proclaiming his message to be obedient to him, to repent of sin and enjoy his blessings or suffer the consequences. 
And by the way, that's not quid pro quo. Not like we see happening today. Somebody just went silent. Pay to play is what it means. God doesn't deal with that. But he does say, if you obey me, I'll bless you. That's good. He doesn't say that to kind of baby us, pamper us, spoil us. Hi, my little cheapless. No, he doesn't do that. That's not what it's about. When nations like Nineveh or Edom or even Israel refused to obey, then God in his love had to execute judgment. Because God's love is wonderful, actually. Paul told the Ephesian church that uh, in Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21, he said, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, every dimension, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. This book of Obadiah will emphasize God's sovereignty, God's holiness, and God's love. And so we begin our journey in the book of Obadiah.